Okay, so hello, hello everybody, and thanks for listening. Today we have Frank Stephenson, longtime automotive designer. He's worked with BMW, McLaren, Ferrari, and he's done he's done some really, really incredible cars, cars that you've probably seen every day and uh, and really love. So we're super excited to have him here, um, and you know, we're it's going to be a great conversation. So hi, Frank, how are you? Hey, Nico, all's good uh, in light of the current circumstances, but uh, yeah, doing pretty good. And uh, you're in the UK right now, right? I am. I'm just outside of London, and I've been based here for quite a while, uh, since 2008, actually. So, um, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Interesting. Um, I, being that we've done a few of these during this pandemic, well, our first mm -hmm. question is always, "How are you?" And I hope everything is. Do I hope you're doing well, and everyone, you know, your friends and family are doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy times. I mean, uh, you know, you kind of expect things to slow down on my side. seems like everybody now is, uh, has got a bit more time to think, and uh, a lot of companies are wanting to become uh, or invest more in creativity and right. get things done. So we're, 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 we're running. Good. That's it's it's yeah. good to hear. And everything's okay in the UK, right? I mean, yeah, uh, we just went into our second lockdown, which is kind of um, you know, not not pretty, not very cool, but um, it's to be expected. And uh, I'm kind of lucky. I live out in the countryside. I don't really have too many neighbors to worry about. And I've got a uh, pretty nice uh, setup here with a couple of dogs that keep me busy all the time. And uh, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best company there is, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so I just want to jump in. First question, really fast. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you you have designed a lot of really great cars, but you haven't always only been um, an automotive designer. But what what about cars got you into car design to begin with? Like, um, why cars specifically? Yeah, um, yeah, it, it is a bit strange. I mean, I know my accent kind of is you know uh, mid U.S. or something probably, but I actually haven't really spent much time in the U.S. I grew up, born and raised in Morocco, Casablanca, Morocco. Okay, wow. Um, and uh, to, I guess, in a multicultural family. My father was American and my mother's Spanish, uh, but they lived overseas uh, all their lives. And um, I guess in Casablanca, Morocco in the 60s, there, your cars weren't really a thing. <clears throat> and um, my father, the reason I did get into cars was because in the mid-60s, my father started up a, a dealership, car dealership in southern Spain. Um, and I got exposed to that during my uh, summer breaks, uh, vacation from school. And uh, I used to go hang out at the dealership as a young kid and just got into the automotive uh, world through through the dealership, you know, just hanging out in the body shop and in the mechanics area and in the wow. showroom. So this this love of cars kind of kicked off by, by, by that. Oh, that's great. What kind of cars were you around? at that time um the dealership so we were selling uh sobs uh okay. we were selling um rovers which is an english brand right. and uh seat which kind of i guess you could say it's the spanish version of fiat so right. yeah, yeah yeah so i mean uh eclectic mix i guess if you know if you looked at it that way but at the same time cars are cars and uh you okay. know yeah, exactly. got four wheels it makes a noise it's exciting for me yeah, absolutely. I I, I feel <clears throat> the same way. Yeah. Um. Now, one of the uh, one thing I, I have to ask you about it, it's one of the projects you were a part of, and one of the cars you designed, and I think it's such mm -hmm. an such an interesting car, and that's the revival of the Mini. Um, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. We, we just spoke to Chris Bangle about it, and he was saying that the Mini was like kind of like the it proved that you could sell a small car uh, at a premium price. What was the like? What was what was it like to be part of reviving such an iconic brand? And like, were, was it more challenging or was it more exciting to work on a design like that? Wow, it, it was Nico. It was both of those because um, you got to look at it in the context of this is one of the car. This car was actually voted European car of the uh, of the century. So um, you know, the project started in '95 when I was based at BMW in Munich, and um, Projects like this only come around once in a lifetime. You're lucky to be in the right place at the right time if you do get involved on such a project. Because if you look at it, the Mini was actually um, or has always been a British icon. It's the car that put England on wheels, as they say. Um, it was affordable, uh, affordable, you know, uh, incredible packaging. It was kind of like a packaging wonder where the inside of the car was actually bigger than the outside of the car. Uh, so to speak, <laughs> and um, yeah, so so that car became uh, came under BMW's umbrella, I guess you could say, the group uh, when they bought Rover Group in the um, early '90s. And when they bought Rover Group, they bought Land Rover, Rover MG, uh, Mini. Um, there were there were a lot of British brands underneath that Rover Group uh, umbrella. And they had to make a decision because they'd also bought Rolls-Royce. So BMW thought, we're going to have the, the high end with Rolls-Royce. We're going to have the, the middle premium with BMW. We need a, um, a brand on our lower end, so we'll have a three-pillar strategy, sort of uh, small car, uh, kind of like luxury midsize, and then super luxury upper. So they decided, or, or they were trying to make the decision in those days, whether to keep the mini brand alive or just to let it die off in in 1999 which is about five years four or five years ahead of them because that car legislation wise was was ready to kick the bucket in 99 um right. it was the same car since 1959 yeah. never really changed yeah i'm surprised it, it was it didn't uh fail to meet regulations sooner than that you know <laughs> it's a tall design yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't the safest car out there. That's for sure. It was on its last last wheels, like last legs. Yeah, right. In the '90s, but what it did have was a was a ton of character. That car was, uh, like I said earlier, it was classless. You know, it came through the '90s. It came became associated with the, uh, you know, the happy lifestyle in the '60s, with especially in, right. in England, with you know the Beatles and the mini and uh, mini dress and uh, mini skirts and just that kind of lifestyle. And then it became sort of in the seventies, still kept its uh, clientele. And uh, then it became sort of iconic and people just, you know, it became a member of the family for a lot of people it had, you know, people used to give it, give it a name to the car. Like it was somebody in the family, <laughs> but it was that, that lovable, you know, and it had lots of character and, um, and people made a really emotional connection with it. So, BMW thought, okay, this is the one brand we should probably, you know, emphasize or keep alive for that bottom end of our group segment. So they decided to keep it going, and yeah, the the, the it was certainly a challenge because a lot of people were involved in the design program to kick off the design themes for it. 
because the one thing BMW realized was that they couldn't get it wrong. In other words, um, owning Mini or owning this British brand, British icon, meant that if they got it wrong, it would be seen <laughs> forever as the, the Germans killing off the uh, right. responsible for the death of the Mini, I guess. And so they wanted to be absolutely sure that they would get the, the, the car right, placed right in the segment, looking right, and keeping everybody happy for the, uh, with the successor. Now, when you actually design a successor or a new car in a brand, you typically will design or have three designers involved uh, presenting three different uh, themes for the uh, future design of a car. But BMW thought if we only do three, we're probably not going to get a wide enough, uh, you know, it's kind of like if we shoot at it with a shotgun, we'll hit the target because one of the bullets will hit, you know. Right. Um, but if we only offer three shots at it, we probably might not get it right. So they went with a program with um, 15 designers around the world uh, proposing what the 21st century mini could look like. And, um, yeah, it was it was a crazy project, and I was lucky enough to be one of those 15 designers on it and uh we had we had a wild huge array of of design themes for what that car could look like at the uh, final shootout the final presentation and um, everybody came in all the designers came in with a different approach um you know really unique look to each of those cars but um yeah they it was a unanimous vote from the uh bmw exec board and the rover exec board uh, towards that the one they chose, which was um, the one I did, and again it was it was a challenge. I didn't see it as stress because you never know if you're going to get chosen or not. It's just you want to be the chosen design, obviously, yeah. right. for such an important you know project. But yeah, it, it came it came in good, and uh, they liked it, and it kind of uh, was the expected design for the car because it what it did was it captured I would call the the character of the original, the emotional appeal of the original Mini, yet it used modern technology. So it it ended up kind of looking like um, your your like if you were the modern interpretation of your great great grandfather kind of thing. You know, you'd still have yeah. something recognizable in your in your eyes or your manner, your character, but you were a modern version of your great great grandfather. Right, right. No, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, so it's that such was, a great design. Uh, if you look at it, it's so easily um, recognizable as a Mini, but it, it definitely looks, you know, modern and everything. It, it's a really, uh -huh. it, it's a great design. Obviously, it's proven to be a great design because it's been a successful, uh, you know, a successful design for the brand. Yeah. And they kind of still, you know, use a variation of it today. Uh -huh. So, uh, obviously, such a huge design. Um but that's not the only uh, big car you did for BMW. You also did the original X5, right? Yeah, that, that actually came first, Nico. I was, um, you know, and, and at that time, like I said, where they uh, acquired Rover Group, where BMW had taken over Rover Group, they had Land Rover as one of the brands or the marks. And so they thought, um, why don't we just take the Land Rover package or the Land Rover platform and see what a BMW could look like if it was put onto that platform? And of course, in those days, um, that type of BMW X series didn't really exist at the time. Um, they viewed it more as um, as an SAV, a sport activity vehicle, because having right. Land Rover meant they already had a, you know, an off-roader, I guess you could call it, but also a SUV sure. version. 
So the approach was let's design something that looks like it could be a BMW based on a Land Rover chassis or platform. Yet this is the car that you can go to the opera with. You can take the kids to soccer practice. You can uh, do your shopping cross country, whatever. And it was a car meant to do everything. So it kind of opened up a whole new segment for BMW. But yeah, it was, um, that was a fun project because again, like I said, it didn't exist in their portfolio, BMW's portfolio. So the challenge was, immediately recognizable as a BMW, although it's a whole new segment for them. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. that It, it took off, and uh, it's developed into a whole other successful range of vehicles for, the, for, for BMW. Yeah, it really has. I mean, the X5 really – I mean, BMW is almost an SUV brand now because of the X5. <laughs> you know, they had so many yeah. – I mean, they have every yeah. number, an X, uh, you know, every, with every number now. Yeah, I think, um, I think part of that reason is because the women public side uh, – really took to it. It gave them a feeling of safeness, of security, uh, simply by sitting up higher than they would normally in a BMW, you know, even a, you know, call it a seven series big car. But at the same time, the position of the, what we call the H point or the hip point mm -hmm. higher up suddenly gave them this command driving position, we call it. So they didn't have to look up at other cars. They yeah. kind of felt right. safe looking down. So that was, that was a big hit for them, that side of the market. Yeah, and and I mean, also kudos on the, the design side because I mean, you not only did you have to design a car that BMW like didn't make, it was sort of the antithesis of what BMW made at the time. You know, BMW is all about yeah. small sports cars, and now here's this big SUV that's so different from so different from everything BMW has made. So it really is uh, a testament to how great the design was. Yeah, but the, I mean, uh, again, Nico, that was a gut gut instinct or gut feeling because i didn't have a heck of a lot of time to actually draw it it was it was get it on paper quickly on an airplane flight down to turin italy right. <laughs> i don't know if you know that story but i was yeah i, I saw your video on that that was a, it was yeah. a really fascinating story yeah that shows you the gut instinct if um it's sometimes better than thinking too much about something you know right <laughs> so yeah i mean it, you think it, something it, out, it, the more you water it down and less less taste it has you know it turns out to be a bit a bit bland if you think too much but if you go with your your gut then a lot of times the uh the emotional uh content of that will be reflected very quickly in the design so it it did pretty well i mean we turned around we turned uh a, a thumbnail sketch almost into a full-size one-to-one scale uh hard model or a concept model in six weeks uh oh, wow. we were working flat out out down there and we had to do it in italy because the uh german unions wouldn't let us work on the weekends at, at bmw in munich so i had to go down and wow. work at work at a place where they didn't care what time of the night it was <laughs> yeah Funny. um yeah and uh again another testament to that design we recently did like just a poll on you know for our readers and stuff about what the best looking x5 was because every every time a new model comes out we sort of do that and okay. uh, the, the original is still considered to be either the best looking X5 or, you know, up, up there with the best of them. I mean, it's, wow. it's still a car that I think is the, the best looking X5. Uh, <laughs> so, and, yeah. I'm, and I'm not just saying that because you're uh, no, <laughs> joining the show. No. It's really, really an excellent design. Yeah. Well, you know, the, sometimes the original is always the best. So <laughs> that's... Right, yeah, that's true. Um, and that also kind of leads me into my next question. And because kind of like, like you said, the original is always the best modern car design 
I, I, maybe this is unfair to say, but I feel like it's been getting criticized more than ever before because there are so many um, like controversial aspects to modern car design, such as giant wow. grills and fake yeah. vents and things like that. Oh um, my what, your, what is your take on stuff like that? All these new um, you know, modern car designs. Don't get me started, Nico. I might, <laughs> I might start shaking here in my chair. You know, it really, it really tees me off. What what we're doing these days? I'm not. You know, people might tell he's an old fart sitting there thinking. You know, oh, they didn't do it like they did in the old days. Right. Good designers are actually kids for a long time. You know, we. You know, if if you lose that capability to think into the future, you're not really a a, a true designer. So. Um, I, I just see that design is emotion. You know, if you are designing something in a market or in a, in a segment where you have to sell the design to somebody or somebody's buying your, your design, you know, not, not industrial design in the sense of we're designing generation five fighter planes or something, you know, or race cars where there's not really a client that goes out and buys the car because, or the plane because it looks cool. Right. Uh, they because it, it, you know, it's a functional piece of equipment almost. But a car has to be sold to somebody, and they pay, you know, good money for something that will be they'll be identified with that pro- product. You're driving around; people are seeing you in that car. You have to look at that car on the weekend and think, "Damn, I'm happy that's in my garage," and uh, makes me proud. And you know, you just—it's kind of like uh, you know, you, you become almost a. It becomes a, a love affair with something you bought now. If you design something for a client that that emotional value is not love at first sight or, um, you know, I'll get used to it after six months. I don't really like it all that much yet, but, I know, you know, give me give me a few months. I might get used to it. That's not a good design. Right. And it seems like people are designers are start are starting to forget that the element of of beauty in, in a true sense of what beautiful is, it's. You know, it, it, it's so simple to me. A beautiful woman 50 years ago still looks, I mean, not, not 50 years you know, later for her, but 50 <laughs> years ago would still be considered beautiful today, you know? Right. Um, and so that element of be- beauty is basically a basic understanding of, of what makes a product beautiful. And it seems like now the shock value is gaining so much traction in the sense that, Designers are trying harder and harder to give a car or a brand or a mark more more uniqueness and more identity. But by trying to do that, they've turned to an element that is shock at all costs and and beauty be damned kind of thing. You know, it's almost like for me, it's almost like saying like ugly is the new beautiful. You know, don't worry, yeah. <laughs> uh, you'll get used to it. Well, no, I won't really. I mean, there are certain <laughs> elements of beautiful, which are proportion and sensuality and pureness of design and nothing overly complicated or lines going everywhere and unpredictable surface transitions. Why Why is it suddenly doing that on the body side? You know, or adding things that don't need to be added on the, it, it's becoming so complicated. And it really, really appears that people are trying too hard. And I think one of the reasons why we're all in love with, you know, designs of the, I don't know, the 60s, 50s, and 60s is because there was a true artistic approach to design back then when when designers, okay, you, you've got regulations today and you have to work around regulations. 
but there's no excuse for for bad, ugly design. You know, those are challenges. We have to, you know, the hood has to be a little bit higher because of pedestrian impact and all that. But you get paid big bucks to be to be creative and f- figure your way out. You right. know, yeah. you can't blame regulation for ugly design. That just doesn't make any sense to me at all. It's like saying you have to paint a picture and it can only be this big. Well, my picture doesn't look great because I was restricted in the size of my painting or something. You know, or I could yeah. only these three colors, or I could, uh, you know, I, I had to use. Uh, I couldn't use a paintbrush. I had to use uh, my finger or whatever. That right. that that is no reason for for making something not attractive. So um, it, it's not my favorite subject to talk about because it really galls me or gets gets my blood boiling when when we look at cars today, not having that instant gotta have it emotional attachment. You know, right? Uh, and if a salesman has got to convince you in the dealership why that design is why it is then it's not you know a design should sell itself a car should just grab you from you know the heartstrings pull at you and say buy me buy me rather than sit there do i really like it am i going to get used to this yeah i totally agree there's there's definitely a specific car that i'm going to get to Uh, but like you said you shouldn't have to get used to a a design you shouldn't it shouldn't have to grow on you because cars like you said they're emotional purchases they're not yeah i mean we got to take a lot of purchases by camry sure but i mean like i said you you, you don't not have to get used to it is one way of looking at it but at the same time no car should be boring and repetitious either that you know you should have new ideas in each new design it should you know, almost make your jaw drop and go, why didn't I think of that? Designers should have new ideas all the time, but you want to stay within the realms of what's attractive. You know, you could, you, you sure. should should bring innovation to design. It's always, you know, we're not artists. We're kind of a mix between an, a, an artist and an engineer. We have to design stuff that looks great but works at the same time. And just to to bring something out that looks like something's already been done, and that's that's not what we do in design. We have to raise the bar; should raise the bar each time we we design something. So there should always be a, an element of something new in the design. But again, it should be viewed as positive and not negative when you do it. Right mm. now. This is a controversial car, but I have to ask you because it's just, it, it wouldn't be, I wouldn't we're be doing a job. Talk, we're not going to talk about the Tesla, are we? No, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, okay. I was going to ask you about the the new BMW 4 Series and M3 <laughs> M4 with their new yeah. giant grill. It would, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask. No, I get it. Yeah, that's extremely controversial at the moment. I don't think it's controversial at the moment, actually, Nico. I think, I think BMW just screwed up with it. I mean, I I think the only people who like it, no, I don't even think they like it. I don't think BMW themselves. I think they realize now with the reactions that I've seen around the internet and, and everybody, it's just, it's unbelievable for me that they actually had somebody stand there and pull the trigger and say, that's it, we're going into production. It It's un- inconceivable for me to believe that BMW have gone so far away from something so important as their most recognizable feature is the double kidney approach, you know, and when they tried to tell us that, you know, it's almost being arrogant that we should not be stuck in our ways, that the game moves on. 
Well, absolutely. It does move on, but it doesn't mean that you have to wreck the history of a brand with something that nobody asked ever. Nobody's ever said a BMW grill looks like crap and that they should redesign it. That is, right. you know, why have they done that? And then at the last minute, we forgot about the red, the, the, the license plate. Let's slap it on quick. We got to get it. <laughs> and they slap it on the, on the, whatever you, I don't call it a grill. I call it something a little bit nastier than that. But it's just for me, it's just bizarre that they would start to take and deconstruct the whole ethos and recognition and character of a BMW. Because let's face it, it's not only the grill that they've changed that has diluted the BMW character on the new 4 Series. There's front, side, and rear elements that have just completely led it away from, from being instant. I swear, if you took that car today and showed it, pulled it back 10 years ago and showed it to somebody, they would never, ever tell you that was a BMW. You know, right, they'll right. see a logo and go, okay, that's a BMW. I see the logo. But without that logo, they've, they've, they've really thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Do you say that? Do you say that expression in the States? Yes, yes. Okay. So they, I mean, it's like, let's, we, it's almost as if they're embarrassed that they've ever done anything like what they've done in their past and they just want to start all over again. I don't, I can't explain that. And I, I really don't want to be controversial in my opinion. It's just that, I feel sorry for all the BMW people who, who love BMW design. This is, for no reason at all, going away from what BMW has always meant. And BMWs have been gorgeous in the past, absolutely right. beautiful and unique. And now they've just, you know, and their excuse that it's for the Chinese market, which I've heard over and over again. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, a common, uh, that's a common thought. But it's yeah, okay, just do a special version for them. You don't have to torture the rest of us for the China. <laughs> yeah, um. it, it is interesting because you see cars like, like you said, kind of before, like being bold for the sake of being bold. Um, yeah. Like you look at one car that it bothers me that the M4 looks like that because if you look mm -hmm. at the Jaguar F-Type, similar size, similar segment, and it's yeah. absolutely gorgeous. You yeah. know, there, there's no excuse for just being bold for the sake of being bold. Like no. that car is bold and it's beautiful, you know? Yeah. So, it, it, and I'm, trust me, you're not being controversial. If anything, okay. I've been the most controversial on our site about, oh, the, uh, about the 4 Series. I've gotten some pretty uh, harsh blowback on my opinions on it. Oh, um, no, no. I, well, probably, yeah, yeah. I, it, I mean, you'll get the really faithful BMW people who will just stick up for anything, obviously. And I, it's just, again, not one other thing that's irking me this year is besides COVID-19, you know, the yeah. virus, is the BMW grill. This <laughs> <laughs> is going to stop. What's next? Yeah, right. What's next? So What's moving next? on to maybe a little less controversial of a, uh, of a topic, I want to talk mm. to you a little bit about electric car design because it's interesting mm. to me. There, it seems that there are two trains of thought in electric mm. car design. You have some car companies that want to go super futuristic, like the yeah. BMW i3, which looks you know totally radical. And there yeah. are some car companies who want to keep it very conventional, like the Audi e-tron, which barely looks any different from any other Audi uh, SUV. So yeah. as a designer, you know, which direction do you think is better, if there is one? Or like, how do you feel about that sort of uh, you know, difference well, in design? Yeah, it's a good topic, Nico, because everybody knows we're slowly or we're actually getting pushed into that 
direction because of the environmental impact that you know current ICE engines have. So we have to we have to allow for that because it's not our fault. If you ask any, uh, what's the word? I, I I don't even sound English, but I only know the English words. Petrol head. What do you call those? Gearhead. Yeah, gearhead. Yeah. Gearhead. That's yeah. Right. You ask a gearhead, he wants to feel the. You know, it's five senses when you're when you're a gearhead. It's you know the five senses fall in love with the car, and when you start taking away the voice of the car or that mechanical, you know, um, visceral feeling that a that a that a mechanical engine gives you, then okay, you're getting performance and things because you know electric engines are are crazy nowadays. You know, it's it doesn't matter going from zero to sixty in two and a half seconds is easily achievable with an electric engine. So. Right. So you're losing, you're gaining speed, but actually who goes that fast from stoplight to stoplight? Not a lot of people. No. <laughs> so if you're looking at what cars are all about, if you're not a, if you're a gearhead, you want to shift the car. Okay. Now we go to mm-hmm. you know, paddle shift. Okay. That's the next thing, but I'd still rather, you know, manually shift the car if I could. Absolutely. Um, but I think the move towards electric cars is inevitable, in, inevitable. It, we are going there, and basically, there's a combination right now of hybrids and electrics, and we'll probably see hybrids disappear. You know, I don't know in the 2030s, it will probably happen that we'll be outlawed, I guess, from inner cities, and we'll be driving fully electric in that, in that time there. Yet, I think electric is first of all. I don't think we're doing it right because if you're going full electric, it means you're really reducing the powertrain, the power unit on the vehicle, which means we should be incredibly uh, persistent or excited about changing the interior volume of an electric car because suddenly your your drivetrain, your power unit is a lot smaller than a you know than a V8 or four cylinder or whatever. Right. So w- that should be reflected in the proportions of the vehicle because that's one of the benefits you can get is is really create a lot more interior space. So interior designers and in universities should start putting putting the pedal to the metal in terms of let's start experimenting with how the interior of a car can radically improve not change but improve over what we have today because we're we're working with different uh, hard points or different um, uh, engineering packaging issues so we can we can change the interior to something that gives us a lot more room we don't have knobs we have digital screens so that is pretty much going in one direction, which is going to please the probably the younger generation who aren't probably so much into owning vehicles or or what the the feeling of a petrol or gas engine, IC engine, really means to a, you know a gearhead. So uh, gearheads still want to be able to turn buttons, press things, rotate this, give the input, and and everything be as analog as possible, but we're getting shoved out of the market now slowly. So what I think if, if companies were smart and I'm not that smart, but I can tell you there's probably a market for it is we should be putting a lot of development money into bio and into synthetic fuels such that we can burn a lot more efficiently and we get, you know, zero emissions. I don't know if that's possible, but if you did manage to create, uh, synthetic fuels that had that kind of burn rate or, or, or power, you know, the density of, of fuel, then we, we could be using petrol or gas engines, IC engines, 
and we're burning fuel like we have, but the emissions have been, you know, drastically reduced. And so you still get the uh, the feeling of a, of a gasoline engine. Right. That is one direction. The other direction, I think, is we all, at least the people who are, know about it, know that the electric engine is not as clean as governments would love to tell you they are. <laughs> That's true. It's just the production, battery production, you know, the, where we build this stuff and the and the batteries, you know, how we get uh, all of it is not the solution. So if you want to look past that, and I know it's expensive at today's cost, but obviously the more you use it and, and everything that's expensive gets cheaper in the long run, is hydrogen power where all you're doing is chucking out H2O. So that for me is not – electric electric potentially is a stopgap just to get us out of the ICE market and onto something a little bit a bit more efficient or, or less polluting. But the real solution actually is not electric. It's probably hydrogen. So I think, you know, there has to be some kind of side side department developing hydrogen or, or making it more affordable and um, and also yeah. probably what, what we would see in the long term instead of electric. So I, 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 I don't want to see the thrill of a, uh, of a, mechanical engine going away and i i kind of regret that we're going electric because it is losing a little bit of the thrill the the visceral thrill of an ic engine i can understand it but again my generation me i i just don't want to turn a light switch on and, <laughs> and see the thing go and then you know it's that kind of power it's it's right. there silent but all right you know. That's funny you bring up hydrogen, though, because that's a uh, interesting. There, there seems to be two camps. The the hydrogen yeah. is a good idea, and that hydrogen is a terrible idea. Um, it's yeah. you, especially. It's interesting. It almost seems like it's America versus Europe on that one, because the American really? brands like Tesla, uh -huh. uh, you know, Elon Musk is extremely outspoken against hydrogen, probably because it hurts, you know, his electric yeah. car business. But then yeah. you have European brands who seem to be heavily invested in hydrogen on the side. You BMW, mm -hmm. Audi, uh, Mercedes-Benz, all these brands are working on hydrogen vehicles on the side. So there, it's an interest, mm -hmm. It's interesting how. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I think there. I think a lot of the uh, trucking industry in Europe is is using hydrogen. They they have they have that option. Um, oh, but again, really? really yeah, yeah, it's 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 not in the. Uh, I mean, I've heard of taxis using them too. Um, but again, it's a cost thing, and um, but like I said, if it's just a cost thing, that's the that's that shouldn't be the obstacle because costs just generally go down the more you you know use it. So, um, but yeah, eventually yeah. we'll see the light. <laughs> yeah, I, I've always agreed with you. I actually thought hydrogen has always been a great idea. I mean, like ah. I said, it emits nothing. It's easy. It's the most abundant element in the universe. It's easy yeah. to. Uh, to uh, to make and all that and um, yeah it just is expensive that's the only problem but so is so are EVs EVs are expensive too that's know? true yeah we haven't really hit hit you know that they they I think they predicted sales of electrics to go up kind of like you know um like on like on a, a forty five degree angle or something and and, and, right. and it's not even not even like a hockey stick you know where it goes flat yeah. and it rises <laughs> quickly hasn't even done that yet but so the I guess when the cost of electric cars do go down a little bit more, it might start picking up. Right, right. Hmm. Um, another thing I want to talk to you about, maybe to get back to more interesting and visceral cars, um, yeah. supercars. You've designed a couple of those. 
uh, uh-huh. in your day. The, my personal, one of my favorite supercars designed ever is the Ferrari F430 because it's, oh, it is, uh, it's so clearly a supercar and something special when you look at it, but it isn't overly flashy or aggressive. Um, yeah. But modern supercars are getting a little bit out of control. So, yeah. what is your like? What is a supercar designed to you? Like, how do you design a supercar? Um, yeah, well, I mean, the, I, I guess you have to split it too because there are supercars, and then we've had supercars for forever, and then suddenly in the two thousands, um, supercar wasn't. Um, it didn't justify cars over a million dollars, for example. Then we started creating what we call the hypercar segment, right? So uh, right, uh, right, right. a sports car, there's a sports car, you know, the 911s and things. Then you get into the supercars, and that's pretty much like what the 430 was. And then even the Enzo or those kind of cars at that age, right, uh, appeared right early 2000s, were still, still being called supercars. But then it exploded, and then we had the hypercar segment, and that became became sort of the limited edition, um, you know, extremely high powered. That that was what we call in fat, or what they call in fashion, the sort of like the haute couture, uh, where it was where it was you're buying a statement. Nobody needs that kind of car, and um, you know, it's, it's pure desire and. Um, and bragging rights, I guess you could say. But the supercar market is now pretty accessible to, if you really want to buy a supercar and you're not too hard off or too badly off, you can buy a supercar. So that that price range is is now probably more accessible to people. But when you're buying a supercar, I think the first thing you have to realize is that car, more than any other car, you know the car you drive to work or the car that you know you drive over to the neighbor's house for dinner or whatever the the supercar really makes a statement about who you are and so you have to really identify with not only the car but the brand and the values and all that you become part of the family that a lot of the um, a lot of the OEMs or manufacturers who produce supercars promise the people who are buying in that you're now part of our family it's kind of like a you know, a special group of people that own the supercars in that in that company. Um, but I think to design a supercar, um, it, it it can be extreme, but not overly extreme, because that's why they've now got. Well, that's why I started speaking about hypercars. Hypercars are the the non plus ultra or the magnum opus, magnus opum, whatever you call that word. Um, <laughs> the the mo or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, red, but the supercar is basically you, nobody. Again, nobody needs a supercar. It's not a car you buy because you need to get to work or something or whatever. So it's more of a luxury than anything else. Or you know, it's um, it's a pr- present to yourself, I would imagine. But um, nowadays, they expect supercars to drive as easy. I mean. You know, only it was up until the turn of the century that you expected the supercar to be almost undrivable in the city environment. You know, the thing would cough and, you know, you'd have to get the revs way up before you get away from the stoplight. Yeah. Um, but now, nowadays, they, everybody wants a supercar to do everything. You know, basically it has to be comfortable. It has to be a track car. And that kind of is a contradict. That's like an oxymoron. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and, and and the car has to look fabulous and do everything aerodynamically. It has to, you know, stay on the road at 200 miles an hour. And that's kind of like if it doesn't do, doesn't do 200, 
it's not a supercar. So they expect seed, speed, tractability, um, comfort, uh, all kinds of modes that allow you to drive it, you know, peacefully on the road, but like a wild thing on, 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 on the track. So it's kind of complicated now, more complicated now, I think, than ever to design a sellable supercar. Because if the other guy is doing it, you have to at least do that much. So gone are the days when you can build an F40, for example, and say that that's your offering in the supercar market because it just would not compete. It has to right. be a bit more um, multi-talented than just uh, than just being a you know a, a fast car, for example. So yeah. designer input, you're you're designing something that is a bit more complete in 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 terms of what you're selling to the customer, um, and, and obviously it has to look a little bit outrageous now. How outrageous? That's up to the company because one of the cars that I think has failed, failed. I wouldn't say miserably, but it's failed in in striking that emotional um, uh, chord. Is the new MC20 from Maserati? It's almost generic to the point of boring in that segment. You know, right. I, I would never be able to tell you that car was a Maserati if I didn't know it had a Maserati badge on it. Yeah. Um, there's nothing that recalls the history of Maserati in that car. And, um, and I think that's where it's lacking. It needs to really scream Maserati, whereas another car will scream Lamborghini or Ferrari. You'll notice that. Um, perhaps that's what they wanted to do is tiptoe into that market. But I think Maserati as a brand needs to, you know, has or should pull everything out of the bag to make that car scream Maserati. It's Italian. You know, nobody in right. Italy subtly, it's like, you know, Italian. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I do have one last question for you. And it's the typical yeah. uh, predictable question of what people ask designers. But yeah. um, just out of my curiosity, are, is there any car on the market that you see right now that you go, that's a great design? Like that is just a beautiful design. And then is there any oh. car in the market that you think that's a, a big swing and a miss? Yeah. Like anything um, specific jump to mind? Well, I mean, that's hard, hard to say because, um, I mean, again, what, 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 you know, if I, if I was 25 years old, I'd, I'd pick a Ferrari or something like that, you know, because that's, that's just that time in my yeah. life. You know? And I'd be seen as a, I really would be seen as an old fart if I said I I love the new Range Rover. You know, it's, <laughs> it does everything. But yeah, right. that's not my favorite. My favorite car, if I could just say, okay, I'm going to go out and go for a drive, would probably be, and not because I worked on it, but because I truly feel that way, it would probably be the 720s um, if it was okay. built. If it was built right, right. If it came, <laughs> it, it, because. <laughs> For certain reasons, um, you know, if it was a well-built, well-put-together McLaren 720S, and um, I think that car is fabulous. I think from how long it's going to look new on the market without um, being overcooked or too too far in any direction, I think it's going to look good for for a long time to come. Simply because it's quite unique in its design, it represents McLaren. I think. Uh, it doesn't look like anything else out there on the road. It's not. I mean, I like the Roma, and I understand people saying the new Ferrari Roma kind of looks like a 
Aston Martin or Jag, but I know that it's more influenced from the early 60s uh, Ferrari designs than anything else. So it's more like Aston Martin and Jag have copied Ferrari's yeah. <laughs> But um, I, I, I just like the uniqueness of the design of the McLaren 720S because, um, again, it's sporty, but at the same time, it does everything. Like I, like I said earlier, supercar today has to do just about everything. Of course, you know, the, the trunk size isn't huge, but it's got a trunk in the front, and it's, uh, it's usable for two people. Um, it looks it – looks, don't ever ask a designer what car looks good because I think he's going to probably have a lot of – a hard time describing anything because he would always change it, and I would still change anything right. I designed. I would still change it again if i had another go at it but right. i think yeah. it's still it will look fresh for a long time to come i think and uh the power unit at mclaren is awesome for what it is um it's got enough stuff to keep you interested with the uh the in interior with the flip up uh instrumentation panel and um options right. list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. i think that car to drive it you, you know you wouldn't mind doing a long drive in it or a short drive in it um and it's not shouting at you like Ferrari customers are typically not. They don't <laughs> let you in when you try to get into the, you know, when you drive it up onto the highway or turnpike, whatever. They don't let yeah, yeah. drivers in, whereas a McLaren <laughs> driver, they might, they might let you in. Yeah, they might. They might. <laughs> yeah. So from a current car, that's probably the one I would choose. Uh, a nice 720S. I wouldn't go for the 765 LT. Because it looks like a boiler, <laughs> you know. Right, let's yeah, let's yeah. just keep putting stuff onto it and kind and of that. Just keep adding wings until it. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, that hurts. <laughs> yeah, it loses the purity. I think when you do that. Right. Yeah, so. I agree. I always like the active wings. You put it down. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. Um, there was two, was that a two port question, Nico? Uh, yes. Sort of, yeah. I mean, mm. I just wanted to know if there was anything that like really stood out to you as good, and if there was anything that stood out to you as like bad. Oh, not, to, like, not, not to like, you know, I don't want you to like uh, diss car companies, but if there's something yeah. that you're like, wow, that needs to, that's a big swing and a miss, I thought it might be interesting. Well, absolutely, the new four series. I think we can agree. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I would swing. agree. Yeah. That's not a swing and a miss. That's a swing and 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 your bat uh, <laughs> hitting yourself back in the head because you. <laughs> How would you do that? You could swing yeah. a bat and swing yeah, and follow cool. through so far with a bat that you knock yourself out. <laughs> so, okay, so that's fair enough. That's the four <laughs> series is the answer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. I mean, it's it's been uh, really awesome. I'm, I'm thank you for like you know taking some time out of your day uh, doing all right. this craziness. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Nico. We'll uh, we'll talk again soon. I hope. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I hope so. So uh, stay safe out there in the UK and, um, you know, thank you. Thank you again. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Oh, no. You're welcome. All right. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. 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 Uh, that was great, Frank. Thanks. If you want to, oh. whenever, no, whenever you're ready, just uh, there's a little disconnect button at the bottom. Like, I was uh, looking for that. Yeah. <laughs> whenever, you, whenever you're good. Um, don't worry. I, I'm just looking for it right now. I don't see anything. Uh, where is this thing? I'll tell you what, Nick. I'm just going to flip the lid down on the. Uh, that, that's fine. I can the, cancel the, uh, the thing out. Okay, good. Nice talking to you. Oh, uh, yeah. You too. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Sure.
Bye. Bye.